So have you ever felt out of place? Have you ever been in a position where you just didn't feel like you quite fit in? I remember once being invited to perform a wedding ceremony at, uh, for some friends. The, the wedding ceremony was going to take place at the parents of the, the, the couple. And so I arrived promptly in my typical wedding attire, black three-piece suit, white shirt, and dark tie. Uh, I was ready to go with a traditional wedding ceremony, and everything was fine until the bridal party came out, and I saw them for the first time. The problem was the bridal party came out in denim overalls with, complete with patches and holes and, and cut off shirt sleeves and even the bride came in in similarly dressed and all of them barefoot. Now I gotta tell you, I just felt a little out of place. Now, I'm not saying that was a bad thing on their part, I'm just saying I felt a little out of place. Another time I recall being invited to a party, a Halloween party, and uh, going to the party and showing up for the Halloween party, knocking on the door, and uh, I, I was all prepared. I had my best costume. I had worked hard on it. I knew what I wanted to be, and I'm not gonna reveal what I was, but anyway, I go as a, in, in my costume. I knock on the door, open the door, and you guessed it. I'm the only one in a costume. It isn't a costume party, just a Halloween party. I gotta tell you, I felt a little uneasy and a little out of place. You ever been there? Ever felt like you were just a little bit out of place? Or, or maybe you felt like you were in the minority at some point or another. Uh, I can also recall being given some football tickets to a college football game. Being a big fan, of course, I got up and got ready, got in my team colors, got all of my team gear, and was ready to display proudly all that I represented. And so I went to the game, found my seat, and when I found my seat, I thought something had to be wrong. I double-checked. Nope, it was right. I had the right seats. They were great seats. Problem is, they were right in the middle of the student section for the opposite team. I really felt a minority. As a matter of fact, I was cheering when no one else was cheering, and I wasn't cheering when everybody else was cheering. Uh, ever felt that way? Maybe you've been out of place, maybe you felt out of, of place, or maybe you've recognized at some point that you were in a minority and you didn't really care for that too much. Well, that's kind of where we're going here today. We're, we're talking to a group of people. Peter is writing to a group of people who felt out of place, who, who, who felt in a, major, in a minority, and, and indeed they were, who had a hard time getting accustomed to or fitting into the culture that they were in. And yet, oddly enough, we find that Peter is talking to a group of Christians. He's talking to a group of Christians who have been scattered from their home, so they feel out of place. They feel like foreigners. They've, they've been scattered abroad because of persecution, and so they don't fit in. They're, they're trying to adjust. They're trying to learn how to live in this culture, in this newfound faith that they have. And, and, and really... It applies to us. You say, well, how? Well, I'm convinced that we are quickly approaching here in America a watershed moment in our history. As a matter of fact, surveys are showing us that Christianity continues to trend downward. And very soon, if not already, Christianity will no longer be a majority religion here in our country. 
We already know this. We already know that even if the majority of Americans, a slim majority, even if that slim majority of Americans still claim to identify as Christians, we already know that if we're determined to live the life um, like a citizen of the kingdom, you remember we talked about that in a series several months back, this upside down kingdom. If we're going to live the way Jesus has called us to live, you're going to feel out of place. You're, it's going to seem like you're in a minority. In the office, it's going to seem like you're a minority because they have other plans, other directions, and are driven by other motivations. If you're in the classroom, you're going to feel odd. You're going to feel different. You're not going to be participating in the things that others are participating in. It doesn't matter if you're on the football team, the basketball team, the volleyball team. It doesn't matter if you're cheerleading or in the band. or It, it doesn't matter where you are in this culture that we live in. At some point, you're going to feel a little uncomfortable if you are living by the standards that Christ has called us to live by. So we believe this is a perfect time, a perfect setting for our study for the next four weeks of the book of 1 Peter, the first chapter. Now, Peter has more chapters than one in his letter, and we, we, there's part of us that would love to go into the rest of the book, but we want to focus on the very first chapter, and we really want to take our time moving through it in the next couple of weeks. In fact, you'll see that today. We'll only cover two verses, and, and, and next week we'll pick up a few more. But we need to understand the importance of this book. It's really a letter. We call it a book. It's really a letter sent to some, um, uh, some believers that, that Peter was wanting to talk to in the area known as Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, a, a group of churches, a group of people who were newfound followers of Christ who had been scattered and who were trying to struggle with, how do we live in this culture? In my mind, I can almost see them gathered around in someone's home as they receive the letter and as they read the letter and listen carefully to what Peter had to say. After all, he is an apostle. After all, they knew his heart. After all, they trusted him. And he had sent them a very personal letter. He had sent them a very distinct letter. And they gathered around now to watch and to listen and to hear what he had to say. Wow. What he had to say is important. Yes, it was written to them, but it was written for us because the same things that they faced yesterday, we face today. The same tensions that they dealt with in their culture are present today. Yes, the circumstances are different. Yes, the leaderships are different. Yes, the governmental structures are different, but the struggles are nonetheless the same. They were struggling with this issue of we don't feel like we fit in. How do we deal with this? And we are in the clear majority. It sounds a little unusual to us really here in America. We're spoiled with our Western Christianity. We're spoiled to the fact that we still feel like sometimes that we're in the vast majority and that's the way it should be. But in fact, throughout the existence of the church, the church has almost exclusively existed in the minority of society. In other words, Peter's going to tell us that you really shouldn't feel all that odd about being odd. <laughs> He's going to say you really shouldn't be all that surprised that you don't fit in. He helps us to rediscover what it means to be the people of God in a world that doesn't understand us. I don't know about you, but I'm anxious to dig in. So let's just jump into the text. Let's open your Bible, if you will, your tablet, your app, whatever it is, or maybe it's on your, um, your, your computer, or it'll, it'll certainly be on our screen. Let me read to you the first two verses of this letter we call 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
verses one and two. Here's what it says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So the first thing we notice as we unpack these couple of verses to launch us into this new series, we're calling um, 1 Peter Learning to Live as Exiles. Peter starts the letter by, first of all, identifying himself and offering a blessing upon the people. Isn't that wonderful? Peter, he says. That's simply telling us who the author is. And by the way, I think it's worth noting that Peter is going to be talking a lot about grace throughout his letter, throughout the portions that we'll be looking at. And it's interesting to me that he's talking about grace because Peter is the poster child for grace. Peter is an example of the grace of God at work in our lives because if anybody was the guy to mess up, it was Peter. If anybody that demonstrated in the writings that he was far from perfect, it was Peter. If anybody messed up while even following Christ, it was Peter. But by the grace of God, by the grace that Christ offered, Peter was forgiven, Peter was restored, and became a leader in the New Testament church. He, along with James and Paul, are the notable leaders in this church. And so when Peter writes, he writes with authority. He is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he offers a blessing, not just a greeting. Yes, it is a greeting. He does greet the churches that he's writing to in Pontius, Galatia, etc. But he offers more than just a greeting. He actually offers a blessing by saying, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. His Jewish readers would be accustomed to a blessing. It was often that they greeted each other with a blessing. In fact, their their, their traditional way of greeting one another was shalom. And they they started with shalom and they ended conversation with shalom. Shalom, peace. It was said to be a blessing. It was meant to be a blessing. It was meant to say, may you be blessed. And, And shalom is peace. And so they were accustomed to this blessing of peace. But now Peter addresses them with a blessing that that has something in addition. He mentions peace be multiplied, but then he also says, may grace be multiplied. May grace and peace be multiplied in you. Now it's what's tucked in this before this blessing that we want to look at and unpack a little bit today. We just need to see there are two key words that Peter uses, and these two key words are going to be key for us today. They're going to be a key to understanding the next three weeks that we're going to be looking at. As a matter of fact, they're key to understanding the entire letter that Peter wrote. So they're very, very important, very notable, and I think it deserves time for us to just zero in on them a little bit and unpack them um, for the next few moments. So these two words I'm thinking about are, are these. Chosen, we see it in verse 1. Chosen, and the second is exile. Exile. Chosen, exile. Now, I don't know, different versions of the Bible may read that second one a little bit differently, um, but the idea, as we'll see in a moment, is exile. We are chosen exiles. Chosen exiles, by the way, we could further qualify as chosen exiles who are scattered. Chosen exiles who are dispersed among 
the peoples. So these two words tell us very important. Why are they so key, Eddie? They're important because they're going to show us two things about us that we need to know. Now, one thing I know is as we face more difficulty in life, as we struggle in our Christian walk, as we have those moments in our Christian lives and our Christian disciplines where we just feel a little bit awkward, we live a little bit out of place, we feel a little bit in the minority, we're not sure if we can stand out as different in these things, we need to know more things about ourselves. When the enemy comes against us with his lies, we need to know who we are. And as a matter of fact, Peter is going to do an excellent job in this book before he ever tells us what to do he reminds us who we are. Now, that's a good principle for us. We often talk about what we need to do or how we need to be, but we don't often talk about who we are. And who we are often determines how we act and what we will become. So, two things. We are chosen. We are exiles. These thoughts. Peter's first of all going to tell us that we are the people of God. We are chosen. We are the people of God. Secondly, he's going to show us that we are exiles. That is, we are misunderstood by the world that we live in. And we're going to be misunderstood by the world that we live in. Why? Because we're exiles in this world. Now, let's unpack that a little bit. First of all, this idea that we are the people of God. Peter says... He's writing to the chosen. And then he adds, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing that leaps out at me at this text is that we see the fullness of the Godhead here in this passage. We don't have time to unpack this idea, this theology, the the, the truth of a trinity, a triune God, a three-in-one. But here we see the triune God in one place. We see God the Father mentioned. We see God the Spirit and God the Son. Peter says we're the people of God for for, for specific reasons. We we should understand that that is important and that is extremely necessary for us to grasp. Why are we the people of God? He says, first of all, because we've been known and loved by God the Father. We're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Wow. Our place in God's family is secured through His love and His grace toward us. He has known us from all eternity. The word foreknowledge is interesting, and maybe there's different ways to look at it. I like the way theologian John R.W. Stott put it. Stott said it this way. He said, this expression foreknowledge does not mean that God had information in advance about Christ or about his elect. Rather, it means that both Christ and his people were the objects of God's loving concerns from all eternity. Wow. So God loved us. God knew us. From the very beginning, the songwriter said that he knew us and formed us even in our mother's womb. I know that goes beyond our understanding. Our finite minds can't really wrap around that, but our faith holds closely to it. That God loves us and God chose us to be his people. He offered us the opportunity to become a son, a daughter of God. And then, by the way, he adds that we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit. 
separated. That's the idea. Sanctified, meaning to be made holy, to be separated. It's a process of salvation that is followed. We come to know Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to be resident within us and grows us and sanctifies us, setting us apart. Setting us apart from what? Well, for one, setting us apart from the culture that dictates so much of what we do today. No wonder you feel out of place. No wonder it seems that you're in the minority at work, at school. No, no, no wonder it seems that nobody else is moving in the direction. No wonder you are cheering when no one else is and everyone else is cheering and you're not. No, no wonder you're laughing when no one else is laughing and not laughing when everyone else is laughing. Shouldn't be surprised because we are being sanctified, set apart by the Spirit of God. And then he says we're cleansed by God the Son. We're cleansed by the blood of Christ, sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. There's so many ways to look at that, and we think back immediately to the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, we see this sprinkling of the blood of goats and bulls, and then and, and the writer of Hebrews tells us that the blood of Jesus is oh, so much greater than those. Thinking back to that time, there were several opportunities or several times when this blood was sprinkled. But I'm convinced, and I tend to follow the commentators and the theologians who believe that this sprinkling has to do with the cleansing of the walk, that is the cleansing from day-to-day -day life that we as the priests of God must move through. You see, we walk through this life and we get entangled some with the culture. We get affected by the culture. We get some of the germs of the culture, if you will. And we get, we get some of the dirt from the culture. It just walks and does it as we walk through this world and walk through this life. And yet, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we must constantly be coming to him in confession, 1 John 1, 9, and understanding what he can do and will do in our lives. And so... Peter is content. Peter is, is, is concerned that he wants to remind us who we are. Over and over in this book, he's going to remind us who we are, that we are loved by God, we are children of God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. That is our identity. This has more to do with identity than even our actions. Now, that's important because, listen, sometimes suffering people, have you ever noticed this? Sometimes suffering people forget who they are. Sometimes people who are in the midst of hurt or, or grief or torment, maybe that's you. Sometimes when we're in the midst of struggle and difficulty, we can cause ourselves to get, we can bring into our lives something we might call an identity amnesia. We forget who we are. If you're hurting today, keep your eyes focused on who you are. You are a child of God. Now, we'll have a lot more to say that in the next few weeks. But for now, let's move on to the second thing. He says, not only are we the chosen, not only are we the children, the people of God, but he says, secondly, we're exiles in this world. Exiles, meaning we're going to be misunderstood by the world. We're going to be misunderstood by people within the culture that we live in. Peter's almost writing a traveler's guide to Christians. He's almost telling the people, we, you and, and me and the people then, he's almost telling us that we're all on a journey and, and this journey is only carrying us through a foreign country. It's only carrying us through another land. We are aliens is one word that sometimes is used, but we are exiles, exiled from home and headed through a certain country. Literally, literally, that was true of these people. 
They had left their homes in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. They were living in Asia Minor, as I said early. That's modern-day Turkey. They were dispersed. They were scattered. They, they were away from home. They, they were struggling in all kinds of ways, and they were literally absent from their home location. Elect exile really means more than that, though. It really means more than just location. It's a term of identity. It's who they were. It's no wonder that they felt out of place. They were not in their common areas. They, they didn't know where the places they had grown up with. They're in a different place. Now, I don't know if you've thought about it or not. Because you may be saying, well, what does that have to do with us? I'm, I'm not an exile. I'm not an alien. I'm living in my home country. Maybe you are, but maybe you aren't. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't know if you've thought about it or not, but if you're God's child, you are called to be an exile of sorts. You are called to cross-cultural living. You're not called to blend in with the culture. You're not called to blend in with everything that happens, but to actually live in a manner that is cross-cultural. And, and, and so we, I know that sounds odd to us. I know that sounds foreign to us. But the true follower of Christ has to admit at some point that this world, this culture that we live in and that we're surrounded by is not always a particularly comfortable place. Why? Because we're a part of an upside-down kingdom. Because everything we know about our kingdom living and everything we know about who we are and how we've been called to live and, and what we've been called to pursue and where our mission is leading and what our homeland is like, all of that runs counterculture. And we sometimes get confused or we sometimes feel like we need to succumb and get sucked in to the culture. These readers were not political or geographical exiles only. They were exiles for theological reasons. They were, if you will, theological exiles. Their beliefs were different. Their values were different. Their actions were different. They were called to be different. And that's why the struggle, that's why they were so uncomfortable. That's why they didn't know how to live in this culture. Now, here's the really bell-ringing news. This is us. It's really us. Like Peter's first readers, we are spiritual exiles. We need to be reminded today that according to Scripture and history, being in this persecuted minority, being a spiritual exile, is the nominative state for the followers of Jesus. That's right. Uh, we, we, we don't need to expect any different. We, we don't need to think anything else. If you're uncomfortable in this world, in this culture... That's probably a good thing. Now, I, granted, there are things that we can do and bring on ourselves discomforts, and uh, you know, we can we we can be things outside of our this kingdom and still be that way. But listen to me carefully: when we follow the steps of our King, and when we obey, when we listen, when we trust Him and His Word, you can expect to have times when it's very uncomfortable, and you feel very out of place and you feel very much in the minority. In fact, I want to say, if you're not a bit uncomfortable, maybe this is all foreign talk to you. Maybe you're a, a follower of Christ, or at least you claim to be a follower of Christ. Maybe you would identify with the Christian faith, 
And yet you're saying, Eddie, I don't get all that. I'm pretty comfortable in the culture and I have no problem blending in with the culture and I have no problem going to the places they go and saying the things they see. And I, I, don't have any, I don't understand what you're talking about. Listen, if you're not a bit uncomfortable in this world, you might need to check your heart. You, you might need to check your faith to see, are you just a pronouncer of that or are you a liver of that? Are you living Christ's life? Do you have a personal relationship with Christ or are you clinging strictly to a religion? You might want to check your heart. So you say, well, I can, how can I tell? How can I know? Well, here's our takeaway for today, and I, I think it'll help you to get it. Our takeaway is this. Remember these, this thought. Heart is where your home is. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, you got that all wrong. You, you got that turned around. No, 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 we did that intentionally. Did that intentionally. Because the truth is, heart, your heart is really where your home is. You can tell where your home is by discovering your heart and what's in your heart. You can look at your heart and it'll tell you a lot about you. Now, that's very difficult because what we tend to do is look at our actions and we tend to proclaim that I don't do this and I don't do that and I do this and I do that. And, you know, I keep the Ten Commandments. I go to church every Sunday. I put money in the chest every week and everything's okay with me. Now, wait a minute. Just hold on. We're not talking actions here. We're talking about our heart. You see, when our heart is set on home, that is on heaven, on our real home, Paul said to the Philippian church that your citizenship, your citizenship, where you belong, your citizenship is in heaven. When we understand that and we understand we're exiles, things change. But if we haven't changed, there may be no relationship with Christ that's real. So when we seek to learn how to live as exiles in this world, what we will find out is that it's not just what we do, it is who we are. And in reality, in this sense, becoming a minority may be the best thing that could happen to you. As a matter of fact, listen carefully, by being exiled, by being different, by, by being in this place where we are moving to a minority, our first think is, thinking is, oh, that's a terrible thing. When I first saw the statistics on the church and how we are trending downward and we are moving toward, if not already in a minority in our country, my first thought is, oh, that's terrible. But in a real sense, becoming the minority may be the best thing to happen to the American church in a very long time. I know that sounds contradictory. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's just true. Because when we come to this place, we are forced to realize where we stand and to look at our hearts and to know what is our home. Where is our heart? Our heart is where our home is. We need to grasp that. Peter doesn't call us to isolate ourselves. He's not suggesting that we shed our society. He's not suggesting that we flee from the world that we live in. But he is suggesting that we be a new community, the people of God in this world. He is suggesting, as he had heard Jesus say prior on the Sermon on the Mount, that we are to be light in the world and salt to this earth, that we're to be like a city shining on a hill that no one can help but see 
and they look at a life and say, wow, that's different. That person's different. There's something unique about them. They are not like others in my culture. They are a little bit odd, but there's something warm and there's something exciting. And I'd sure like to know more about that. And then there's your opportunity to share the gospel with these people. So God calls us to be light. He calls us to be salt. He calls us to live in this world as exiles, passing through, looking for another home yet to come. It's been said that this world is a bridge. A wise man will pass over it, but he'll not build his house upon it. That's a good word, my friend. This life, your life really is a bridge, and you'll be wise to pass over it, to pass through it, but not build your house here. The writer of Hebrews said it this way when he wrote to the Hebrew Christians. He said in Hebrews chapter 11, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on this earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would not have an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What a word. The writer of the Hebrews is telling us we can't focus on this culture. We can't focus on this place as our home. If you focus on this, if you build your home here, you're in for disappointment, struggle, depression, and discouragement. You will not be able to handle the struggles that come your way. You'll cave and you'll have no strength, little peace, and only a little comfort. But if you and I can realize we're exiles, <clears throat> just passing through, <clears throat> and this moment on this earth is but the twinkling of an eye compared to eternity where we will spend with our heavenly King, our heavenly Father, where we'll spend with our Savior, Jesus Christ, where we will spend with friends and family, where we will spend eternity in a glorious setting. That, my friend, will carry us through the difficulty. None of this is easy. But God helps his elect exile successfully pass through this world into their ultimate home. The writer of Hebrews is right. We are constantly looking for a city. Well, in closing, you know how much I love music. And immediately this message makes me think, the ending here in Hebrews makes me think of an old hymn. Some of you know it. Now, some of you don't know it. Some of you will... I think it's kind of corny, but those of you who know it will love it. And those of you who don't know it, you might embrace it. It's an old country gospel song, but here's the words. It simply says, we're a band of pilgrims on the move, burdened down with sorrows. We are shunned on every hand, but we are looking for a city built above. Looking for a city where we'll never die. There the sainted millions will never say goodbye. There we'll meet our Savior and our loved ones too. We are looking for a city where we will never die. I'm looking for that city. How about you? I'm preparing for entrance into that city. How about you? I want to live as an exile here, looking for a city to go. I want to be salt and light right now where God has placed me in this foreign land while looking for a city where we'll never die. What about you? What about you? 
If you're a follower of Christ today, I would urge you to think seriously about Peter's message and follow with us the next few weeks as we look at who we are so that we will know how to live in this culture that is foreign to us. If you're not a follower of Christ, I would encourage you today to take consideration of that, to understand that Christ has put you in front of this screen for this moment to speak to your heart. And there's someone right now just waiting to talk to you, waiting to pray with you, waiting to converse with you, ready to answer questions you may have, ready, ready to deal with any doubts you may have, ready to just say to you, we love you and want to invite you to be a part of God's kingdom and to be one of His people and be a part of the realm that we are privileged to be a part of. So God bless you and we look forward to more next week. May I pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for allowing us to peek into your word, just a small portion of your word that is so grand and glorious and moves and stirs us today. I pray, O oh Father, that you would remind us to be looking for a city, to understand that we are exiles here, and to embrace that thought and to appreciate that thought and to understand all that goes with that, not to rebel against the thought. May we, Lord, live faithful and true in this generation, in this culture, that we may be a salt and light. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.